Bible School starts next Monday. So uh, bring your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Uh, stay and volunteer to help if you'd like. We'd love to see you. And I wanted to say I'm glad to see Matt Leon from California. <laughs> I w Matt, I was going to say glad to have Matt today. He's right out of prison. But <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but good to have you today. <laughs> uh, he's from California, prison, California, same thing. <laughs> All right, I'm in enough trouble already, so we better get to our, our text today. I want to begin with a verse in John chapter 7 and verse 43, where it says, There was a division among the people because of him. There was a division. What he said would cause division. For example, in John 6, he fed the 5,000 with the bread, uh, mu uh, multiplying the loaves and fishes, and then taught that he's the true bread and that you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And from that time on, many people left him. Not only by what he said, but by what he did. In Mark chapter 2, a paralytic was let down from the ceiling into his presence because the room was so packed. And he looked at the man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, forgiving sins is the prerogative of God. So some of the scribes standing there were very offended by that. Not only what he said and what he did, but even when he did it seemed to offend people. For example, in John 5, there was a lame man at a pool and he said, do you want to be made whole? And the man said, yes. He healed him. The problem was it was on the Sabbath. And so some of the Pharisees said, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. If I had been advising Jesus, <laughs> I would have said, you know, you could wait 24 hours and there would be no problem. But no, he didn't seem to mind. And so there was this division among the people. Now, I don't think Jesus went out and tried to divide people. I don't think he was an insurrectionist. He was just being Jesus. He didn't try to divide. He's just a divider by his majesty, by his presence, by his identity. 
There's a verse in John chapter 9, verse 39. You can pull this verse up. Jesus said, for judgment. And the Greek word there for judgment is the Greek word crisis. We actually get our English word crisis from that. Some uh, momentous moment, event. For crises, I came into this world so that those who do not see, you can see. And those who think they see and refuse my instruction, they will become blind. So he's a crisis. It's, that's the division. This crisis is created, let me mention two or three things I think creates this crisis of, that Jesus brings. First, Jesus is infinitely worthy. Would you say amen to that? He is worthy of the worship that is due to Almighty God. When Mary at Bethany had Jesus in her home, this is in John 12, uh, Jesus has just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead in John 11. So now Jesus is in Lazarus' home. Lazarus is there. Martha is there. Mary is there. And here is God in the flesh in your living room. And going to sit at your table. This is, this demands something. So Mary goes and gets an alabaster box that is full of this expensive perfume and pours it on his feet. And uh, John 12 says that it was worth uh, 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 about $50,000. Very expensive. Judas complained. Wait a minute, this could have been taken and given to the poor. And so Jesus says this, The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me in your home. Now, if, if, some, if one of us had said something like that, look, you know, there's a lot of things you could do with $50,000, but giving it to me, in fact, pouring it on my feet, that's, that's good. That's a beautiful thing. Because you always have a lot of poor people. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't sound unless you're God in the flesh. See, His very majesty creates this crisis of sorts. Most of us, if, if, we come into, if I come into your presence, if I come into your home, it's uh, kind of a bland, uh, uh, glad to see you, okay, bye now. It's, an, it's a nothing event. But not so with Jesus. He created a demand for a response equal to his value. R.C. Sproul 
tales of preaching in a church in Cleveland, inner city Cleveland. And he said the pastor had been there for many years, but he, he had a high turnover rate among assistant pastors. He said they probably lost about 15 assistant pastors over the years he'd been there. It's about two a year, so he'd been there about 30 years. R.C. Sproul asked him, why such a high turnover? The pastor said, well, they come out of seminary with a zeal to do good works. They come out with a, they want to tackle poverty. And he said, well, how come you've been able to stay? He said, because I didn't come to eliminate poverty. I came to bring Jesus to the poor. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here. The poor you always have with you. There's a lot of good works we can do. The issue is Jesus. He is the issue of Christianity and in our life. His worthiness outweighs everything. How does Jesus create this crisis? Just by being who he is. He's worthy and this creates a crisis. Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died, All My Riches I Count But Loss and Poor Contempt on All My Pride. If you, you know this hymn? Listen to the last stanza. It were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love that's so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It demands it. Nothing demands it except Jesus. And he does it by just being who he is. How does he create a crisis? How does he divide simply by his worthiness? Another way. Jesus creates a crisis by revealing our hearts. And again, here he doesn't, he's not necessarily trying to tell us how sinful we are. That's not his style. But he brings out what is in us. In Luke 2, 34, Luke says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus is a little baby here, and Mary's brought him to the temple. And Simeon said, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Jesus brings that to the surface. I just finished reading the Gospel of Matthew and I saw how Pilate just sort of fell into this. I mean, he, uh, he was, Rome had conquered Judea and so Pilate was a Roman governor placed there to oversee, administer government in, in uh, Judea. So he happened to be the governor when Jesus is arrested and brought before him and the Jews are trying to get him crucified. Pilate just happens to be the guy in charge. 
He's there from about 27 to 37 A.D., exactly the time that most people would say, I do not want to be in Judea. And in Matthew 27, 12, it says that Jesus was accused by the chief priests and elders but gave no answer. And Pilate said, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer. And the governor was amazed. A pilot's used to people when they're brought in being full of self-defense. And Jesus says nothing. This is amazing to him. Matthew 27, 15 says, At the feast, the governor is accustomed to release to the crowd any prisoner whom they wanted. And then they had a, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas or Bar-Abbas. Bar means the son and Abba is, means father. Or, uh, so you, you could actually, I, I don't even know if that was his name. It just means a son of some man, some father, some Jewish father. Bar Abbas. So they had this custom at Passover of releasing some criminal that everybody would agree, okay, we'll let him go just as a mercy. And Pilate thought, this is how I'll get Jesus off the hook. Because it says in Matthew 27, 18, Pilate knew that it was from envy they had delivered him up. They hadn't done anything. They just knew that he knew the Jews had hated him. So here he's got this idea. Uh, here's how I'll get him off. Because I don't want to crucify an innocent man. He said, well, you were supposed to release someone. Uh, let's release Jesus. Or we could release Bar-Abbas. Who is he? Well, he's just some rebel they had captured. And if you glean the facts, he's the son of some father, Bar-Abbas. Maybe that's not his, even his name. John 18.40 says he was a robber. And Mark 15.7 says he was a killer. He was a murderer. So here is some obscure rebel who robbed people and killed people. And Barabbas, Pilate thinks they're not going to take him over Jesus. But they do. Now can you imagine? The Jews said, stoked by the scribes and the elders and Pharisees, they said, give us Barabbas. Well then what will I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. What an exchange. And Pilate, not wanting to displease the crowd, said, okay. I'll do it. Look at the crisis. And he didn't even talk. Jesus never said anything. That's just the sort of crisis he creates by being present. By coming into the picture. It is why the world hates Jesus. 
He creates this angst. So they prefer a son of some man to the son of God, a robber to Jesus, the good shepherd who provides for his people. They prefer a murderer, a killer, to what Peter calls in Acts 3.15, Jesus, the author of life. Wow. That's the depravity of the human heart and Jesus brings it out. Some people say, you know, they say, uh, Jesus brings out the best in me. <laughs> well, Jesus can also bring out the worst in you. Jesus has come to make the best in you, not reveal that it's there. The, what is revealed is, our, is the sinfulness of our heart. That we would prefer the worst to Jesus. And what idols have we not at some point preferred to Jesus? And I put myself in that category and, and I look at those decisions and I am ashamed at what I have traded for Jesus. Pilate and the people. The people actually said this, let his blood be upon us and our children. Matthew 27, 25. We will, we will bear the guilt of this decision. Wow. And by the way, this is what it means to be caught up in a mob mentality. It was just a bunch of mad people that you can't reason with. And Exodus 23, 2 says, you're not to fall in with the many going to do evil or bear false witness in a lawsuit, siding with the crowd so as to pervert justice. The mass of people. Where's the one voice? Beware of being caught up in like this turbulent, chaos of society in which they're e emotion driven. Somebody said this, when emotion is most inflamed, wisdom is most in jeopardy. Get away from the crowd, calm down, open the scripture and let God give you peace so you can make good decisions. And if you're the only one to make a good decision, so be it. That's the crisis. This with Pilate and the people of Israel was the key moment in their history. They were never the same again. Now there were some on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts 2.36, when Peter said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified Lord and Christ. They put him in at the right hand of, uh, of God. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what should we do now? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for a forgiveness of your sins. In other words, if you have made this awful exchange and you have taken something tawdry for Jesus, the Son of God, 
it can be forgiven. Praise God for that. But he calls us, he reveals our hearts, his personage brings a demand for response. This is all the crisis that comes with Christ. One other thing that presents to us a crisis is when he calls to us personally. We know by the Holy Spirit Jesus is speaking to us and he calls us to follow him. You see this in Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what may I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, have you kept the commandments? He said, Oh, yeah, yeah. I kept all the commandments from my youth up. And Jesus, knowing that the one thing he loved more than all was his money. So he said to this rich young ruler, Take all your money, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young ruler says he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. See, Jesus put his finger on that one thing. And he traded Jesus for his money. What do we trade? Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not simply say, give away all your money to the poor, and then you'll be poor. Everybody, I want everybody poor. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, give it to the poor and follow me. In other words, join my disciples. Be with me. And if following that event in the same chapter, Jesus goes on to explain the cross to his disciples. He reveals to them the true meaning of the cross, the Messiah, the resurrection, and what's going to happen to him. He missed, the rich young ruler missed that. He missed how, he said, his original question was, how do I go to heaven? He would have found it right there, but he traded it for his money. He goes on, Jesus does in Mark 10, and heals the blind man. The rich young ruler would have missed that. Because see, Jesus said, sell, your, sell, your, sell everything you give to the poor and follow me. If he'd followed him, he would have followed him and saw all the miracles. He would have heard Jesus in Mark 13 predict the destruction of Jerusalem and the confiscation of all the lands by the Romans and he would have known that all his riches would have come to nothing anyway. Because Jesus outlines a whole chapter after that. The rich young ruler missed that. See, he created this crisis. When Jesus said, deal with this issue and follow me, that's a crisis. But we have to look beyond it and see that Jesus is saying, follow him. This got to be the benefits and advantages in that direction. By calling us to follow him is a crisis. And I would just add this. 
Jesus is the judge of our final destiny, and that is the final crisis. The final divide in Matthew 25, he says at the end, when he comes again, there will be the sheep and the goats. Ever, all mankind, all nations will be gathered in front of him, and he'll separate them, divide them. There's the final crisis. Sheep and goats. Now, he, he doesn't make them sheep and goats at that point. They're, all, they're that when they arrive. That is the final crisis of all. And there is in the geography of the United States what is called the Great Continental Divide. It's the peak of a mountain range that begins up in Canada and goes all the way through uh, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and all the way down into Mexico. And if a drop of water falls one inch to the east side of that continental divide, I mean it just enough to barely edge it out and it starts its journey down the hill into the streams, into the rivers, maybe the Mississippi down into the Gulf of Mexico or to the Pacific or uh, the Atlantic. But if it comes down just a tiny bit on the other side, it starts its journey away from the, in the opposite direction and goes to the Pacific. And that's what Jesus does in history. At first, you can't see it. It's like everybody's close, but as time goes on, God's people move further toward the Lord himself. And the others move further away. He's, and the great divide, the great crises is the moment you come in contact with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What will you do with Jesus Christ? He is that great divide that determines whether you're on a journey to God in heaven or away from God and judgment. You know, in history they divide all time into B.C. or A.D. A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And B.C., before Christ. So history is divided. In the first century, Judaism divided. Christianity was the growth and maturing of Old Testament Judaism. But then the first century Judaism took off from that. We're the true religion of the Old Testament. We're the flower and the maturity of Old Testament faith. But in the first century Judaism broke off from that and chose the Talmud, a Jewish commentary, as their primary source of authority. We have the Bible. He divided Judaism and Christianity in the first century. He divided the rich young ruler from his disciples. He divided Pilate as a man who asked what is truth 
and showed him to be a man who wasn't interested in truth at all, just political expediency. He divided those who loved him and believed in him from those who did not. He's still a crisis today. And the question for each of us is what will we do and how will we respond to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Ushers, if you'll prepare for our offering. But I want to ask, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, I want to ask you, what have you done with Jesus? Have you responded to Him? Have you said yes to Him? Maybe you've struggled and even fallen, but but what is the direction of your life? I'm not asking about the perfection of life, but the direction of life. Are you moving toward the Father through Jesus Christ? Have you embraced Him as your God, your Savior, your Lord? If you have not, I hope you will do that even as I pray this morning. Our Father, we pray today that you will guide us, help us to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes to His majesty and glory and direction and yes to eternal life through Him. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.